and specifically John chapter 12. Um, so if you could turn there. And this is going to start off kind of an Easter series. And the message, the title for today's message is Behold the King. Behold the King. And then on Friday, at our, uh, at our Good Friday service at 10.30 on Friday, Wayne is going to be speaking, and he's going to be speaking on Behold the Lamb. And then on Sunday, Wayne will speak again on Behold the Lord. So this is going to be a, a very short, uh, but hopefully sweet, Easter service and Easter series. So John chapter 12, and this morning let's read from verse, verse 1 to verse 15. And it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to, Beth- to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus with one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only to on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast. Heard, uh, the, sorry, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, "Hosanna!" Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So this morning we are going to look at these two stories that kind of appear. Uh, The first being Mary's anointment of Jesus, and that's in verses 1 to 8, and then looking at what we call the triumphal entry in verses 9 to 15. And as we look at these stories, I want to point out two things. First, that as we behold the king, we are beholding the valuable king. And secondly, we are going to behold the conquering king. So let's begin with a little bit of background, and we find that um, really in verse 1. For those of you who don't know, um, Jesus has been on earth now for 30, 33 years, um, and he has been doing signs and miracles now for the past three years in his ministry, and this is really the last week of his ministry. We're starting it. Everything is coming to an end. His time has come, as he says. And date-wise, we are told that this is happening six days before the Passover. And for us, that means probably um, on a Saturday. So kind of yesterday in, in the way that our calendar works with Good Friday being on a Friday. 
And before we, we get into that too much, when does the Passover take place in our calendars? Because if you haven't noticed, it kind of moves all over the place if you're to look and you see the Passover. Well, it takes place on the 15th day of the month Nisan, which is the first month in the Jewish calendar. And you might realize that as the Passover changes from date to date, sometimes it's later in April, sometimes it's in March. And the reason for that is because we use a different calendar than the Hebrews do. Um, we use a solar calendar, so we base our our year around the rotation of the sun. So one rotation of the sun is one year. And the Hebrews use a lunar calendar. So they base their months off the moon. So each time the moon goes around the earth, it's 29 and a half days. So therefore, their months go 29 days, 30 days, 29 days, 30 days. And they, they cycle back and forth, and they have 12 months in their year. But that leaves them 11 days short of a full solar year. So to fix that, they've added these leap years in where they put an extra month in. So in a 19-year cycle, if they add an extra month on the third year, the sixth year, the eighth year, the 11th year, the 14th year, the 17th year, and the 19th year, then they have everything will match up with our calendar every 19 years. And so that's why for us, the Passover seems to bounce all over the place. Um, but in the Hebrew calendar, it is on the exact same day every year, the 15th of Nisan. And so this is the Saturday before Jesus was going to be crucified. And the word we see right in the beginning in verse 1 here is this word, therefore. And whenever you see the word, therefore, as you read the Bible, you need to ask, well, what is the therefore, therefore? There's got to be a reason, right? Um, and so in this case, he's referring back to the previous section of text. And specifically, he's looking at uh, John 11:57, And it's saying that now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. So in light of the fact that the chief priests were going to come and the authorities were going to come and arrest Jesus, there was a warrant out for him. He travels to Bethany. And Bethany is a city. Um, it's just outside of Jerusalem, just over the Mount of Olives. And so that is kind of where this is taking place, just outside of Jerusalem on the Saturday before the Passover happens. And we're also told a little bit about who's there. We know there's Mary, there's Martha, and Lazarus. And every time we see Lazarus from now on, it's pointed out that he's raised from the dead which is pretty interesting. So Lazarus is there, Mary's there, Martha's there. So let's now look at verses 2 to 28, and we'll see then, the value, behold the valuable king. So we see what happens. Jesus gets there, and there's a meal ready for him. And it's not just a simple meal. Um, whenever something special like this happens, this, this dinner uh, that was served like this, it means that it was a banquet. So they threw a banquet for Jesus. And this is completely planned. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus is here. We'll just pull whatever's out of the freezer because they didn't have those. But that's, that's not what happened. They had planned, oh, Jesus is coming. We're going to throw him a banquet. And the reason they did this is that last time Jesus was there, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And then after that, he kind of had to leave quickly and he didn't get to celebrate and rejoice with them. So Jesus now is returning, like, he's coming, he just raised Lazarus, let's celebrate, let's join together, we're going to throw him a banquet. 
And so in verse 2, we see uh, it says that Martha served. And this is just Martha's way of showing that uh, she loves Jesus. She's serving and praising and loving God and loving, or in loving Jesus um, by physically serving them the meal. But the story really starts to progress once we hit verse 3 and we see Mary and what she starts to do. And again, uh, we see this word therefore. So what's the therefore therefore? Well, it's saying that in light of the fact that they were throwing this special banquet for Jesus, Mary does this, if that makes sense. So they're going to throw this special banquet They've thrown it, and because they're throwing it, Mary is going to, and then what she does is um, she anoints Jesus' feet with this perfume, and then she wipes her hair. So he wipes his, her, his feet with her hair. And ultimately, the entire room smells of it because the perfume is just everywhere. It's on the floor. It's all over Jesus. And just as Martha served and praised Jesus in her way of with food and and thanks, Mary did the same with her actions. But we see this reaction from Judas to this. And what does he say? He's, he's appalled because how could she do this? How could she go and use all this money on this perfume and put it on his feet? This is like 300 denarii worth of perfume. And if we did the equivalent, that's a year's wage, the equivalent of um, working minimum wage in Canada and Ontario here, 12 hours a day, five days a week, including your overtime pay, it's about $41,000. So this is not just like, oh, they went to Walmart and bought the Adidas stuff that was $10 on the aisle there that you always see. This is good stuff, expensive stuff. And Judas is angry, he's appalled. But the text itself tells us that Judas doesn't really care about the poor. In fact, he's a thief. So here we see this contrast between Mary and Martha and Lazarus as they love and serve Jesus and Judas. While Mary and Martha and Lazarus love Jesus, Judas loves money. And we see in this story that he misses the value of Jesus. Jesus is so valuable, they're willing to, Mary's willing to give up a year's worth, like her inheritance basically, the most valuable thing that she has. And Judas doesn't see the value. If we look more closely at Mary's actions, he gave this precious ointment. It doesn't tell us how she got this ointment, if it was an heirloom, if she saved up for it. Um, we, we have no idea. All we know is that she gave it and she used it. And, Mark, and in Mark's account, we're told that the flask that it was holding, it actually was broken. So there's not anything left. Like, it's all gone. A pound of this stuff. It was all used. It's all over Jesus and on his feet. And Mary, at this point, she's not thinking, man, I wish I didn't give quite so much. I wish I just had kept a little bit for me, like there was a pound, I could have probably just gotten away with a little bit. I should have kept some back for myself. I shouldn't have given so much to Jesus. No, she's thinking, I wish I had more to give. If I had two pounds, I would have used it all. If I had ten pounds, I would have used it all. And she takes all she has, the most valuable possession, and uses it on the most lowly part of Jesus, his feet. 
Not only that, but then she uses her hair to clean his feet. There's rags for this. They use cloths and stuff. Foot washing was very common, um, especially because they're in a desert climate, so it's hot. They're not wearing like Nikes. They're wearing sandals. So their feet are blistered. Uh, they're covered in sand and dirt. They get sweaty, and then the sand sticks to them. I'm sure we've all had that when we go to the beach. Their feet are nasty. Like, they're really gross. <laughs> but Mary goes and takes her hair, which is arguably the most looked after and beautiful part of herself. And she undoes it, which women don't do in front of men in this culture. It shows this intimate relationship. She undoes it and washes his feet. John Piper says, The lowliest part of Jesus is infinitely more precious than the most beautiful part of Mary. Mary is declaring here the value of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for Lazarus, because of who Jesus is, his worth, and, and everything he has done, Mary is giving, her, giving Jesus all the praise she can. He's giving him everything. Judas, though, doesn't agree. And in a few days, ultimately, we would see, and if you continue to read, you see that he trades Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, about $1,000. Mary's going, no, I got roughly 41000 maybe more, maybe less. That's just a, a rough ballpark. I'm going to use it all. This is everything. And Jesus is like, well, $1,000, I'll just trade that for Jesus. He does not see the value of Jesus. And you see that Mary recognizes who he was and Judas doesn't. Mary loves Jesus. Judas loves money. Judas loves the things of this world. And as the smell of the perfume extends to every corner of the room and not just for a day. I mean, it would have, you would have smelt it for a long time. That's a lot of perfume. Everybody knew how much Mary loved Jesus. Nobody who was in that house, nobody who walked into that house would not realize that there was that much perfume used. This was a public act of worship. It wasn't a secret. Judas, though, he hides his love for money behind false affections for Christ. And ultimately, his love for money results in death at his own hands just a few days later. So as Mary recognizes the worth of Jesus, her affections and actions show the joy and honor that she has for him. Her recognition of the worth of Jesus results in ultimate joy and fulfillment. And as Judas fails to see the worth of Jesus, his heart is hardened over his love for money and his failure of recognition of value results in death. So for us today, when you think about Jesus and what he's done on the cross, the thing that we're going to celebrate this coming weekend very shortly how do you respond? Do you respond like Judas? Do you love the things of this world? Is your heart so enwrapped in things like money that you miss the value of Christ? Or do you respond like Mary? Do you recognize Jesus' infinite value? Do you give Jesus all praise, everything that you have, do you realize that there's nothing, that we are nothing in light of who Jesus is? 
Is your heart full of joy and love for God? With Easter less than a week away, do you turn your affections to Christ? As we think of next weekend. And we see as we continue that we need to make sure that our affections are on Jesus just like Mary was. And in verse 7, this is a, a, a hard verse to interpret. And it says there, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, he can't be talking about the ointment because it's gone. The flask has been broken. It's empty. It's all been used. There's no ointment left. So he can't be talking about that. Instead, what he's talking about is the affections and love that she has for Jesus. He's saying, let her recognize who I am when I am dead, when I'm in the tomb. Let her still serve and love me the same way. Right now, she believes that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's why he's, she's worshiping the way he, uh, she is. And when he's in the tomb, when Jesus is in the tomb, Jesus is saying, may you still realize that I am the resurrection and the life. For us today then, When we think about Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, dying in our place, taking the penalty for our sins, giving us life just as he gave Lazarus, do you recognize Jesus' value, his infinite value? Let us behold the value of this infinite king. As we move on and continue, we'll see that we also behold the conquering king. And from verses 9 to 15, um, let's just read it again. When a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had risen from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So we see here, as we move on, um, starting in verse 9, that as Jesus is there having this banquet, people hear about him. And they know that Jesus is in Bethany, and so they, they go out and they want to see Jesus. They want to meet Jesus. There's a crowd. And not only do they want to meet Jesus, they want to meet Lazarus, because he's been raised from the dead. That's a big deal. He was dead for, and not just like he was resuscitated after he, his heart wasn't beating for two hours. He was dead in the tomb for four days. He had been wrapped. Like he was dead, dead. And, and God, and Jesus raised him back to life. Yeah, not like what we have in the hospitals where it's just a couple hours and we dead. He, he, he was dead. And so they want to see this guy. What, how, they have questions for him, I'm sure. Um, and they're excited and they want to know, they want to see Jesus. And so this crowd comes. And because of this, we're told that Along with killing Jesus, as we saw in verse 57, the chief priests now want to kill Lazarus as well. Because they realize that 
He is a witness to who Jesus is. They want him out of the way. And so, we, as we continue in verse 12, it says that um, the next day, this would have been the Sunday, so in our calendar, the way we set up our Easter, this would be today. In light of our Good Friday and, and Jesus' death being on Friday. Um, the people were there and Jesus was heading over to Jerusalem. And so he's got this big crowd with him. And we t- were told that there's people in Jerusalem at the feast. They heard that Jesus was coming as well. So a crowd started to form there as well. And they're at the east gate. And as Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives and he's got this crowd around him, there's another crowd out there. And this isn't just like 10 people, like a little crowd or even a crowd like we have here. This is hundreds of thousands, and some even would say possibly millions. Like, there's a lot of people here to see Jesus, to praise Jesus. And as Jesus approaches the city and he he draws near to the gate, the people, the crowd that was with him from Bethany are trying to get in, and the crowd that was in Jerusalem is trying to get out, and there's there's just a lot of people there. And as he gets closer to the city, uh, he has his disciples go. This this account is recorded in all four Gospels. He has his disciples go, two of them, and, and get a donkey and a colt. And they bring it back. They put their cloaks on, the, on them. And he sits on the colt and rides on the colt into the city. And as he gets closer to the city, the crowd following him, they start to, start to, to sing. And they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And if you look into the psalm, this is known as the Conqueror's Psalm. This is uh, sung to the Conqueror, the one who is talking about Jesus, the one who will come and conquer. Jesus is this conqueror coming into Jerusalem, but he is not coming in the way that they expected. He's not coming on a white horse, ready to declare war and kill and bring victory. He's coming on a donkey, ready to die and conquer sin. And history tells us that when a king rides into a city, um, what they're riding on is very important. If they're riding on a donkey, it means that they come in peace. But if they're riding on a white horse, then it means that they come in war. So if there's a Roman soldier there at the gate and they see Jesus coming in on this donkey, they're not thinking, this is a hostile takeover. Because he's coming in on a donkey. They're not very quick animals. He's going, oh, he's just coming in peace. There's nothing, there's nothing going on here. And the other fulfillment we see that John makes mention to in is Zechariah 9 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion, it's talking about Jerusalem. Behold, your king is com- coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. These people realize what's happening. They see Jesus as the conquering king that the Old Testament had been talking about. They understand that he is coming to conquer, but they don't understand what he's coming to conquer. As they cry out, Hosanna, they're saying salvation has come. They see the authority of this king. And they see the fulfillment of this Old Testament, this Messiah coming. He's finally come. But they don't understand what he's there for. 
But for us today, do we see the authority of the king? Do we recognize Jesus' authority? As we prepare for Easter, as we think of Jesus in light of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, as we think of him as salvation, do we see him as the conquering king? We need to. If we continue um, and switch Gospels and look at the Gospel of Luke quickly, right after this account, the exact account in Luke 19, 41 to 42, we see here specifically that the people don't get it. And it says, And when they drew near, they saw the city, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What would you, even you, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. When this happens, Jesus weeps. When he's in there and they're singing Hosanna, and it's over, he weeps. But why? Because the people see him as the conquering king who's come to take over Jerusalem and set them free from Rome. But it's not true. They don't realize who they need peace with. They don't need peace with the Romans. They need peace with God. Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome. If he did, that would just be a temporary solution. Jesus is coming instead to conquer sin. He's got a permanent fix. And honestly, for those that didn't see this and they they didn't understand the authority and the power of Jesus... If those who thought, no, he's coming to take over Rome, Rome's going to fall, Jesus is going to, he's going to be conqueror, he's going to be our king. If that's as far as they saw, they didn't realize Jesus' authority. If you think that all Jesus is good for is taking over and conquering things of this world, then you don't see far enough. Rome is not the problem. The things of this world, in our case, are not our problem, sin, is our problem. And this conquering king did not come to deal with Rome. He came to deal with their sin permanently. And if we want to see the authority of Jesus and truly see how great he is, we need to realize that he's not, he, he came to conquer sin. For us today, don't be so blinded with what happens in our lives that we miss what Jesus conquered. If you think today that you've been saved so that Jesus can help you conquer the battles in your life, then you're wrong. That's, that's not the primary reason. He came to conquer sin, to defeat sin so that you can be saved, so he can change your heart. The authority of, great, of Jesus is so much greater than just the things of this world. He's got authority over all things. And in a few days, as we're going to celebrate um, on Friday and on Sunday, we're going to see that Jesus, he's going to conquer the biggest enemy of them all. He's going to take down Satan. He's going to take down sin. He's going to defeat death. And it's going to have no hold anymore. For us, as we look back on the event and we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem as this conquering king, we need to... We need to see him as this one who's coming to conquer sin. This, this conquering, valuable king who's entering the city with the primary goal of defeating sin and praise him the same way they praised him. They praised him right. 
but they didn't praise him for the right reasons. And we know, though, that this isn't over. If you are to switch to the book of Revelation and look at Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16, let me read that. And it says, Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and his head like the diadems, and his, and his name is, writ, is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in the robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him in white, on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus came this first time on a donkey peacefully. He came to bring salvation. But that's not going to happen next time. When he returns again the second time, he's coming in on a white war horse. Not just him, but the armies of the, his army as well. And, and they're going to be on the white war horse. And he's coming to bring judgment to the nations. The allies are not going to be the Jews and the enemies, Romans. That's not what he's... But the allies are God's saved people. And the enemies are anyone else. And so if we're here today and we're, we see this in God's word and we're not saved, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect sinless life, which we could not, and died on a cross paying the penalty that we couldn't pay and rose again defeating sin that we couldn't defeat, defeating death that we couldn't defeat. If you do not believe that, then let me warn you that Jesus is going to return as the conquering king and this time it's not going to be in peace. Turn to Christ Jesus. As we conclude then, let's remember what we've seen. First, let's recognize the value of Jesus. Behold the valuable king. Mary realized how valuable Jesus was and gave everything that she had to him. Do you realize how valuable Jesus is, truly? Do you give everything to Jesus? Or do you treat him as worthless as Judas does? Would you trade him for the smallest of treasures in this world? I pray that we would love him, that we would give him this honor and this value that he so deserves, that we see Jesus as valuable as he is, this infinite value. Secondly, recognize that he is the conquering king. Behold the conquering king. He has authority over all people. The people didn't realize what Jesus was coming to do in this time. They, they didn't understand they missed the point. They wanted Jesus to conquer the worldly problems, but Jesus was coming to conquer sin, and he did it. 
and I, the next two weeks, or the next two messages on Friday and Saturday, we're going to see that he did it. And if you believe today that, that he's done that, we're saved. But do you really believe and see Jesus as the conqueror? The one who defeated death and sin? Or do you simply see him as a solution to your worldly issues? Again, I pray that we would see Jesus as the conqueror of sin, as the conqueror of death. We would recognize his authority rightly. And finally, recognize that he will return. And this time that we're talking about, that the Gospels record, he came in peace, but next time he's coming to make war against his enemies, those that are not saved by his work on the cross. And he is going to com- he's conquered sin this time. Next time he's going to conquer the world. Love the Savior who has saved us from sin. And hope in the Savior who in one day soon is going to save us from the world. Let's pray. Our God and Father, as we look at the days leading up to the time on the cross, I pray that we would see your Son rightly. That we would see Jesus as more valuable than anything else, infinitely valuable. We would place him as such in our lives, in our hearts. Lord, help us to do that.